Welcome to Building Fortunes Radio. Make sure you check us out at buildingfortunesradio.com. Along with our marketing partners, we're here to help our PM Marketing Network Lead customers build their businesses and make the world a better place. At Building Fortunes, we know how much your business means to you and the people important to you. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. Now on to our show with your host, Peter Mingles. Hello, everyone. Peter Mingles here. You're listening to us on Building Fortunes Radio. It's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. It's a Saturday night. It's 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and we are here live with Scott Johnson. It's January 6th. Happy anniversary. <laughs> so for January yes, 6th, happy anniversary. Happy, happy anniversary, you know, our insurrection, if you will. You know, the day, the, uh, the day we tried to take over the country and didn't even pack a lunch. We were so confident we'd have it done, you know. <laughs> So it's crazy. So anyway, so we are here on January 6th. It's uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Central Time with Scott Johnson. And this is our first radio show of this year, 2024. And for those people that might be listening in, there was some technical challenges with the platform that we do this radio show on. Um, and we haven't deduced what the technical challenges were. It's not my company that does the program behind the programming. So I wasn't worried so much about that, but we missed uh, one or two weeks. So if, we, if you missed us, we missed it, meaning there were some technical challenges where we couldn't call in. But last week, we experimented with a uh, technology where we can do some videos. So we restreamed is the platform that we used. <clears throat> Restream.io for those people that want to know how to do it. So we went on Restream and used the platform where we can be on Facebook, Twitch, um, which is like a gaming thing, um, the YouTube, I said Facebook, and also Twitter. And then just recently we put it on um, – what else did we put on? We put on Twitch, Twitter, Face, Face, Facebook, and then YouTube. I'm sorry. There's three or four of them. Anyway, so if you go there, you'll be able to find them. And then we took the audio out of it, and we put it back on buildingfortressradio.com. So we'll play around with the restreaming of the occasional ones that we might put up there, and you might see some other ones up there as well. just helps get the word out, if you know what I mean. The, as many places as we can possibly be is get the word out for the things that we're talking about. And I will share with you <clears throat> when we got started with this, on Building Fortunes Radio, I wanted a platform where we could have interesting intellectual conversations about what happened in the world of building home-based businesses and specifically MLM. And I grew up in direct sales, so when I took a look at MLM, I knew there were some really good things about MLM that were done right, and then some things that I would say, I don't know where you guys get this stuff from. Like, what friggin' planet do you grow up in? Um, so I knew there were some things done right, some things done wrong. I was willing to try to make some of those changes. I have uh, basically been successful in helping some, been completely unsuccessful in helping others, and I realize that many times the people are the problem. So it's hard to fix the problem with the people that are the problem, and that's another radio show. But I wanted my own platform so we can have conversations about this sort of thing. And when we started Building Fortunes Radio, I knew I needed some guest hosts, and I was doing some radio shows myself. Ran across a gentleman named Roger Van Blissingen, who is an anti-MLM critic who was writing for Seeking Alpha, and that was right at the time that Bill Ackman, my new hero, again, for the second time, or third, or fourth, or fifth. Now, Bill's got a lot of things to not be a hero about, 
but Bill and his pursuit in um, going after the Harvard and Ivy League presidents and now the board members, again, has rekindled himself as being a hero. But anyway, so having said that, Bill Ackman was going after Herbalife and really trying to put the hurting on Herbalife, showing them with the deceptive business practices that they truly did have. And although there's probably some good things going on with Herbalife, I know I've interviewed a lot of Herbalife distributors that love their products, and some of them would even say save their lives, their words, not mine. Um, I knew that there were some things being done wrong. But Roger Van Blissingen came on, had a really great interview, brother friend, E. Robert Smith. We even interviewed Robert Fitzpatrick, for those people that are unfamiliar with Ponzi Namakother and the Ponzi Scheme Alert guy and a few other people like that. So we've done a lot of things. Well, when I did that radio show with Roger, um, Scott called me up, and I didn't know who Scott was at the time, but he called me up and had a nice conversation with me, and I said, Oh, he said, you know, you know, Peter, the thing that a lot of people are missing out on or missing completely is the MLM tool scam. And I did not necessarily know what Scott meant by that because it was the first time I ever really heard anybody sling those words together, like the MLM tool scam. But I kind of figured I thought I knew what he was referencing because I was involved with Amway three separate times. And I deduced that there's a lot of people in Amway that are making money on Amway, not necessarily in Amway. And the difference is, if you're making money in Amway, you're selling the products and services and making commission on your personal sales as well as your team. But if you're making money on Amway, you're probably using the Amway name as a front to be able to sell books and tapes and functions and all that sort of stuff. So when I asked Scott if he had a domain name during the course of our conversation, he said, I sure do. It's called StopTheAmwayToolScam.wordpress.com. So that's when I knew he was talking about the same thing that I was talking about. So we decided to do a few radio shows that have turned into a few hundred radio shows, which is really kind of cool. And we're here kicking off 2024 with whatever we're going to talk about next on this Building Fortunes radio show. So Scott's going to give you his website. He'll tell you a little bit about some of the things, and then we'll jump into whatever we want to jump into in 2024. And I playfully say, you know, uh, this is our first radio show of 2024. Hopefully we'll be able to do another couple of hundred more. So Scott Johnson, thanks for being here on your own radio show. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. And I'll, I'll uh, mention where you can find the information that I've put together over the years. If you go to uh, facebook.com slash Scott Text Johnson, that's S-C-O-T-T-T-E-X-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, all one word, um, you'll see three websites or links to three websites. You'll find the link to this radio show um, as well as my YouTube, my email, and so forth. Um, anyone is welcome to email me to uh, communicate. Um, and certainly... Uh, I'm actually going to give out my phone number right now, it's, uh, and it's going to be on my Facebook page real soon. So you can call me at 214-843-9066. So there you go. You can uh, email me. You can call me, whatever. Um, I'm out there looking for people to visit with. Um, and, and like you say, the, the tool scam, and particularly I was on Amway for several years, the Amway tool scam is, uh, as far as I know, the most profitable, and Amway is the largest MLM, and their tool scam is, to my knowledge, the most profitable of any MLM, bar none. I don't even think it's close for second place. Um, and that's what I've been focusing on, really, 
since I found out about it in 2005. Um, so it's going on two decades uh, of this effort to expose what's going on with the tool scam, which is problem number one with Amway and other MLMs that have large tool scams. Um, it, it, and it really dwarfs anything else that's going on with MLMs. And when we say tool scam, what that means is uh, the upline, the upper tier distributors, I call it the scum at the top, they charge money to their downline for various things with the uh, intent to train and motivate them, which I have no problem with. Um, I have no problem with training. So it's various meetings, it's books. Uh, in today's world, it's um, phone apps, uh, both audio and, and video downloads, website access, voicemail, just all kinds of ways that the upline makes money, and a lot of it. In fact, that's something that you can find on my websites is how much money they do make from the tools. Uh, there's one example, my favorite example. Um, it, it's the largest one I've found so far. I'm sure there's probably others out there that, that have made even more, but they don't talk about it when they're in. They only talk about it after they get kicked out. And um, the, the fellow's name is Brig Hart, B-R-I-G-H-A-R-T. So if you look up that name on my websites, you can see that he gave an interview to a Salt Lake City newspaper back in, I think, the early 2000s, and he had been kicked out of Amway. And he said, well, I was making almost a million dollars a year from Amway before I got kicked out. And I was making eight to ten million dollars a year from the tools. Now I don't have a problem with people making money. I have a problem with people lying about where they're making their money. And this was a massive lie by leaving it out, right? It, it's not that he said something that was false. It's that he did not tell the whole story and gave a very deceptive impression that all of his wealth and all of his lifestyle came from Amway. Whereas, in fact, most of it came from the tools. And that's what makes it a tool scam. If it was out in the open, it would just be tool profit. It would be no scam. So um, that's, you know, important distinction there as far as, as uh, you know, the difference between a scam and just a legitimate business. So that's the tool scam. That's problem number one. I, I think it's RICO fraud. I'm not a lawyer, um, but I think it has a lot of hallmarks of RICO fraud. Um, and certainly it's business fraud. You know, if you, don't, if you don't talk about the business model when you're trying to get somebody to join a business and you leave out the part that they really should be knowing about and, and you tell them only what you think you want them to know rather than what they should be knowing, um, then that's fraud. That's, that's something I don't know why the FTC hasn't um, figured that out yet uh, to go after Amway and their tool scam and other MLMs that have tool scams. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, uh, because tool scams are not universal. A lot of MLMs don't have them. A lot of MLMs have rules against the upline making money by selling anything to their downline. And some of them even enforce it. There was an example several years ago, Mary Kay, where a lady that had been in for something like 20 years and Mary Kay had a big group um, and as the story goes, I don't know the details, of course, I wasn't there, but as the story goes, her downline asked her to do something to provide them, I don't, I don't recall if it was a recording or maybe 
T-shirts or something. And so she did that. I don't even think she made much of a profit or any of a profit. And when Mary Kay found out, they canned her. She was gone. It was <laughs> There wasn't even a discussion. Um, they were very serious about you will not sell anything to your downline, period. Um, so, But the other big problem is lack of retail sales. And when I say retail sales, my definition is when somebody who is not part of the MLM compensation plan buys a product or a service. Um, and, and that's an important distinction for what a retail – I've had discussions over the years, uh, particularly back in the 2005 – to probably about 2010 timeframe um, with a guy on a blog, and he would never answer a question directly. Uh, he would always change the subject or dodge and weave, and he would never uh, answer a question directly. And he would always insist that uh, a retail sale is someone that makes the final purchase of something, whether they were you know, a customer by, by my definition or if they were a distributor. They, they said, hey, the last person that buys it, that's a retail sale. Uh, and, of course, that's not accurate. Um, but that was one of many things that he, you know, just made it so that you couldn't have a, a straightforward conversation. Uh, he, he's very clever. Let's put it that way. <clears throat> His name is uh, David Stetson, uh, S-T-E-A-D-S-O-N, um, and he's on Facebook. I, I asked him recently because I hadn't contacted him for quite some time, um, if he was still in Amway, and he said yes. So that was the end of our conversation. He's blocked. <laughs> and, and, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's that. Um, uh, so the lack of retail sales, the problem, one of the problems is it's not defined as far as what is the minimum. And the FTC has settled with a couple companies. Um, it's becoming less and less recently as time goes on. Back in 2016, both Herbalife and Vima settled with the FTC out of court after the FTC sued both companies. And they, they pretty much came to an agreement that you have to have about half of the products or services being sold to customers, as I defined them earlier, in order to have a legitimate MLM. And these were settlements, of course, that both the FTC and the companies agreed to. Uh, so there's no law. All there is is this precedent of settlements, and that's what I use as my guideline for how much retail sales is enough retail sales. And so if you're selling, let's say, on a household-by-household household basis, as much as you're using, or more, right, you can sell more, um, then you're considered a legitimate MLM in my eyes. Um, now, that doesn't mean you don't have other problems, but there's all kinds of businesses out there that are not MLM that are also not perfect. And so we're not striving for perfection. We're just trying to focus on these two big rocks, um, tool scams and retail sales or lack thereof. And I, I really haven't found an MLM that I know has that level of retail sales. What I do know is most MLMs have overpriced products and that would lend itself to making it difficult to have retail sales to the point where it's probably less than 50%. It's probably way less than 50%. Um, and, and so that's a major problem. And the FTC so far has not stepped up and said we would like to um, provide guidelines at least that you need to have at least as many sales to non-distributors as you do people who are distributors in order to be 
uh, you know, considered not an illegal pyramid. Uh, but so far we haven't gotten that from the FTC, and so it's murky, right? There's no explicit guidance. People in the MLM industry have even asked for more explicit guidance. So it's not like, you know, they haven't asked for it. I don't know if they would want it if they got it, <laughs> at least that, that part of the guidance. Um, but they have asked for it. So it, it's just really kind of uh, confusing. Um, but that is the definition of an illegal pyramid when there's little to no retail sales to customers. You know, customers, again, being people who are not part of the MLM compensation plan. So that's the two biggies. Um, I guess one of the things we need to talk about, Peter, since it is January 6th, I would love to talk about January 6th three years ago. Um, but I'll let you make uh, any other comments, and then we can maybe dive into that topic. Well, um, as some people know I'm kind of all over that conversation because if you're talking about the January 6th insurrection, quote unquote, um, I realized that that was probably a staged event or an event that was allowed to happen. So I've been all over that for a long time. There's a publication called the Epic Times and they have a movie called January 6th that's free through the rest of this evening, uh, which is January 6th. Um, but it goes over all this, some of the stuff, some or all of the stuff in the part one. Part two is being released. As a matter of fact, as we speak, it's being released. So I'm missing that. We'll be able to catch that up maybe a little bit later on. But there you go through the truth that happened before January 6th. But um, I take a look at January, January 6th. Um, as as being one of those events that w that is being used to change the course of history inside this country, and I also realize there's a lot more than the mass majority are, are taking a look at. And for those people that really research it, you'll probably be more in line with the idea that I have that it was probably an event that was allowed to happen, and maybe even facilitated to happen for the specific purpose of making sure that Donald Trump never gets elected back into uh, the presidency, as well as to have more control. And the more I take a look at, you know, life in general, it's all about control in so many different areas, that the more control they can possibly, or excuses for control they can possibly put on people, the better it is. And maybe the mass majority does need to be controlled, but for those people that have independent thinking and all that sort of stuff, I, th I think it's just, uh, it's horrible. So anyway, so yeah, I'm, I'm all over this conversation, Scott, however, or wherever you want to bring it. So back to you. Yeah, you know, my impression of uh, January 6th is that um, it, it wasn't, I would say, organized tightly. I think there were, most of the people showing up were just uh, going to the Capitol building, as Donald Trump indicated in his speech you know, immediately prior to, to going down there, he said, you know, go down there peacefully and patriotically. And, that, and, and I, I think those words, unless there's some overwhelming evidence that he was plotting behind the scenes, you know, to overthrow the government, um, should exonerate him because those are pretty clear words. Just interrupt you. I mean, if, if me and you are going to overthrow the government, don't you think we're going to pack a lunch? Like, you know, like, do you think we're going to plan on staying a while? <laughs> you know, I would think it would not include grandmas and grandpas and kids. And, you know, it, yeah. it, it, would, it would be more of a military operation. Don't you think you'd bring a sandwich? You know, absolutely. Like, Scott, this absolutely. Gonna, it's going to take a while. <laughs> it's, not some, you know? it's not some tanks and, and jets. And yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
I mean, there was like, I think there was three or four people that died during that, and, and all of them were the protesters. There was, I think, a guy that had a heart attack. Someone else had a stroke. Someone else got trampled, I think it was. Um, yep, absolutely. And, of course, you know, there was, there was a guard that, that passed away the next day, and for a long time they said that he was hit in the head by a fire extinguisher thrown by a protester, but they later found out that was not true, and he actually died of a stroke. Now, did he die of a stroke the next day because of the riot? Maybe, um, but it's not like it was a murder, right? It was, it was just right. – there were some people there um, on both sides. When I say both sides, I mean pro-Trumpers, right? The, the extreme, extreme MAGA, um, and they were there to cause trouble, a very small number. There was also some people, I believe, uh, I think this is to your point, that were very much anti-Trump, and they were trying to stir up things as well. But both of them were trying to um, give the impression that there was a government overthrow, quote-unquote, which, again, yeah, to your point, yes, they would have packed a lunch. <laughs> so... <laughs> And so I do think there was troublemakers on both sides that were, you know, both pro and anti-Trump, and they had their own reasons. And most of the people there, though, were just there to peacefully protest, to make their voices heard. And and certainly if you know anything about, you know, crowd behavior, um, most people that were there could only see the people in their immediate view, right? They had no idea – uh, of a top-down view of what was really going on big picture-wise. And so as the crowd starts moving, it's just human nature that you move with the crowd. Um, and, and, and it so happens that the troublemakers that were at the front that were bashing in the windows and knocking over the gates and all of that, um, they were the ones that were leading the big crowd in. And, um, again, they were just doing – you know, the lemming thing, follow the leader. They, they weren't there to cause any trouble, most of them. Um, they were just there, and, and they got caught up in the crowd movement. Um, and and I'm, I'm very disappointed that the government has gone after so many people that I don't think really broke the laws that they are accused and convicted of breaking. Um, they, they really went overboard with this. And, you know, I wouldn't have as much of a problem with going after all those people um, that were doing those things if, I think it was the summer of 2020, maybe 2020, 2021, maybe, I can't remember. No, it must have been 2020 um, when uh, that, that uh, guy, where was it, in St. Louis, he got yeah, choked George out Ford. by the, yeah, yeah George, George Floyd. And so not only in the city that they were in, but cities across the country, they burned down whole sections of, of downtown uh, and, and, and suburban businesses. You know, people that had nothing to do with George Floyd, had, had no interaction with George Floyd, wouldn't know who he is or anything. And they had their businesses burned down. And I don't think they went after hardly any of those protesters, the, the common and I'm disappointed as much in the Republicans as the Democrats because the common feeling was, well, they're just getting this, you know, off their chest and they deserve to, to do these things. Um, but when you think about it, if you were a, a small business owner, you know, your business is as holy of a shrine as the Capitol building 
to a politician because it's your livelihood. It's your everything. You know, it's your baby. It's, it's something you put your life into uh, to, to make a success. And these things get burned down and nobody really cares. Nobody gets, um, you know, prosecuted or, or very few. I don't know if there was zero, but it was very few. They, they could have done a much more thorough job in finding the people that did all those things if they had put in half the effort as they did reviewing all the videos and, and all the other information with the uh, January 6th riots, they would have had hundreds of people probably, you know, cause there was a lot of looting going on. There was, you know, there was killings. There was, there was all kinds of stuff going on. And I don't think there was hardly any prosecutions from that. So it, it to me, it's just duplicitous, right? It's, it's, you guys really care about your own place, but how about the place of other Americans who, you know, value their business just as much as you, probably more, because these guys, most of the politicians are, are jerks anyway, and I'm talking about both sides. <laughs> um, you know, they're just in there, you know, making a big deal about it because they feel, I guess, insecure. Um, remember the fences that went up after January 6th? I mean, you couldn't get anywhere close. It was It was amazing how scared the politicians were. And yet they didn't lift a finger during all the George Floyd riots. And if you remember also, I think it was Seattle. Um, they took over several blocks of the downtown area for weeks. You know, they decided they were going to have their own little society in there. And then eventually, of course, they started killing and robbing each other. And the government, you know, sheepishly, the, the, I think the local and state governments finally stepped in and, and put a stop to it. And, and Trump even offered to help. And they said, no, no, we don't want your help. <laughs> and, so, and so all this damage occurred with really pretty much zero consequences. Um, but then when a few people are walking through the Capitol building, now it's serious, right? And, and, and there was people injured. I'm, I'm not trying to downplay that. But, um, you know, some of the stories we've heard is that Nancy Pelosi was asked to beef up security before January 6th, and she declined. Now, how much of that was intentional or, you know, it, she's just incompetent? I don't know. Um, but it was something that, you know, people try to put all of the blame on Trump and, and the MAGA and all this. It's way more complicated than that, folks. It's way more complicated. And I'm glad that there's a person right now who's challenging. I can't remember exactly what the accusation is, but he's challenging. I think it's disruption of a uh, government uh, um, activity or something like that. And um, he's bringing it, I think, to the Supreme Court, which if, if the Supreme Court rules in his favor, there's going to be hundreds of people, including Trump, that will no longer be able to be prosecuted for that. And I do think that um, the way that that law is written, this is, again, I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding is you have to be pretty actively doing something to disrupt something and not just walking around the Capitol building or walking around outside the Capitol building. Um, that, that is not considered, you know, the, the level you need to get to to be prosecuted under that law. So, yeah, there's a lot of problems that I just have. The biggest problem I have is they prosecute this group, but they do not prosecute the other group. And they really should have. And I felt that way at the time, back in 2020. 
you know, how come you guys aren't going after these lawbreakers, these people that are looting and murdering and, and burning down buildings, businesses? Um, it, it was just incredible how uh, the government just didn't do anything. You know, they just sat back and watched and said, well, we got to blow off steam, so we're just going to let them do what they're going to do. And, you know, that's that's that. <laughs> and then we see a complete opposite when it comes to the capital. So uh, I just think there's just so much, you know, just 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 dishonest dishonesty, I guess you could say. Hypocrisy is another good word. Um, yeah, and, and so I'll stop there and let you get in your three cents. Go ahead. Well, the unlevel playing field, you know, the whole thing. So the, the, it's all it's all a big, if you will, um, derangement syndrome, if you if you will. So I agree with you. If somebody's crawling up the wall, breaking White House windows, I mean, ethically, morally, legally, anybody would probably say, you know, who raised you, and and how did you grow up that way, and you already knew that was wrong. But if you were led into the Capitol and you were acting like a tourist taking pictures um, and like you're on a tour guide, I don't think you should be the ones that could um, that should be prosecuted. And, you know, the stuff that they're doing, we could talk about this stuff forever, really just talks about the level of overreach, corruption, manipulation on the government's side towards their own people, which is really kind of scary. One thing I do want to just reference, Scott, there is a parallel, and even though we're talking about this like it's political, there is a parallel to the mental illness and mental derangement in this January 6th movement, um, like what's happening with Trump and being taken off the ballot, as there is an MLM. Like it's the same thing meaning the same mental illness or mental delusion, there are some people that are so anti-MLM, it's to the point of a psychosis. So, like, you take a look at the uh, – and I keep going back to this, guy. We talked about this a little bit earlier um, before we were live on the radio show about my feelings about sometimes white people and their – white arrogance or their white separateness, you know, this, they separate themselves from reality. The gal who's Sheena Bowen, what is it, Sheena Bowen, um, the one who took Trump off the ballot in Maine. She basically single-handedly did it based on her white arrogance. <laughs> I hate to say it like that. But she is so Trump deranged and so Biden, you know, stuck up his butthole or so whatever she is that she's so blinded by her hatred towards Donald Trump, she thought it was okay for her to make a decision to take Donald Trump off the ballot in Maine for insurrection, you know, something he's never been charged with, something he's never been proven guilty of. Um, she's, took him, she's taken him off the ballot. And they say they did the same stuff in Colorado, and they're trying to do the same thing in many, many other states. So the parallels in this conversation is take a look at what you're describing relative to the inconsistencies and the mental illnesses. Well, these people, there is a, there is a parallel of the mental illness as applied towards MLM, or better yet, anti-MLM. But also I'll say MLM. There are some pro-MLM people that are just as equally mentally deranged or mentally delusional <clears throat> because they'll support anything in MLM even though it's unsupportable. So I'll let you comment on that if you want. Yeah, exactly. And um, I actually have a, a more local example of this whole derangement. If you can uh, um, have a little bit of uh, patience for me to read something real quick. It's not just at the national level and it's not just January 6th or, you know, keeping uh, 
Trump off the ballot. In fact, that woman up in Maine, Peter, um, it made that decision, and I agree with you. He's never been even accused of insurrection, let alone prosecuted, and, and she pretends like he's already been convicted of insurrection. It's just incredible how these people overstep their, their uh, power, uh, but they have no problem. And, and she was quoted, I don't know exactly when, I think it's been at least a couple of years ago, but she was quoted as saying that the Electoral College – is racist and it needs to be done away with. And I have never heard that before. That the, uh, you know, some people don't like the electoral college because you know they think that uh, it should be a majority vote. And we know exactly why the founding fathers um, did not want a majority vote uh, in order to keep some of the the power level between the large states and, and smaller states uh, more in line. They didn't want a couple of very large states to be able to elect a president. They wanted, um, you know, the ability of smaller states, less populous states, to have more influence rather than less influence. And that's the whole thing. And and she says it was basically racism. <laughs> and it's just incredible how people can talk like that and not get talked down. You know, not be just completely vilified. Uh, because she should be vilified by every media outlet out there. Um, but all of the liberal ones are like, yeah, right on, sister, you go for it. Um, and, and it's just incredible how really stupid we've come as a country. It, it really is, because people actually believe her and in, in her basis for, you know, why the Electoral College should be done away with. It, it's incredible. So anyway, um, yeah, let me read this. This is a... Uh, Excuse me. This is a local story here in Texas. Um, there's a representative by the name of Jeff Leach, uh, L-E-A-C-H. So you can find him on Facebook. That's where I'm reading this from. He comes out with um, posts from time to time. And his latest one from yesterday, um, I'm just going to read it real quick. Our region, and, and he's in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area, our region has proven to be the biggest job creator in the nation. The conservative pro-business policies that I have consistently supported at our state capital are critical to this success. The elimination of burdensome regulations and bureaucracy, historic tax cuts, tort reform, and programs in our high schools and colleges that produce a skilled workforce. Uh, and it goes on a little bit more than that. Um, but one of the comments that came back from a Santiago Jameson said um, to Jeff Leach, You've specifically made decisions for businesses when it comes to vaccines. That's a regulation you've added, capitalized added. If a company wants to mandate vaccines in order to save money on future health care costs, they can't here in Texas. So maybe they'll go elsewhere where they can make decisions about their bottom line without having a kneel to your suburban douchebag ass. Okay? <laughs> so that's 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 his comment. My comment back to San, uh, with Santiago is, uh, wait a second, where is my comment? I, I had it here. Oh, I see what happened. It put in the most relevant but not all comments. All right, here we go. So I just finished his comment. Here's my comment back to San, Santiago. Santiago. I said wrong in capital letters. You have it backwards. Strengthening and protecting individual freedoms is not adding a regulation. 
This law lessens the negative impact the woke and libtard political COVID hysteria is wrought on individual freedom to choose whether to have an experimental vaccine injected into your body. Woke and libtard companies are welcome to take their business elsewhere. I'll even open the door for them. <laughs> okay. There you go. And, and then he gave me a smiley face, and I said, I didn't expect a response because there isn't one that makes any sense, LOL. And then finally, he finally uh, replied back to me and said, um, he said, sorry, this is San- Santiago back to me. Sorry, I realized you don't know what government regulation is, but these are things you can still learn. So I want to encourage you to not give up on yourself. You'll get there, buddy. <laughs> and, so, and so I just responded to him saying, um, this is me to uh, Santiago. Are you too scared to debate these issues on my podcast? I haven't heard back from him yet, so, and that was almost an hour ago. But, yeah, it, that, the craziness out there that people think that when a, when a government says that you have the right not to put an experimental vaccine into your body um, or, or have a choice of being fired if you don't, um, is, is seen somehow by these nut jobs as, as you know, government overreach. It's actually protecting individual rights. Um, and, and, you know, companies are caught up in this, like I mentioned in my first comment, this, this hysteria over COVID, which for most people, you know, there were a lot of elderly and people with medical conditions uh, that actually died from COVID. I acknowledge that. But there's also people that die every single year from the flu, again, mostly people in those conditions. And, and so, <clears throat> you know, after the first two or three months, after we found out about COVID and, and how dangerous it was, we just overreacted. And I think just like January 6th, it was a political thing, much more than a medical thing. They were just trying to make Trump look bad. And, and they knew, because his kryptonite, he's kind of a germaphobe. Right. He always has been. And, and so, you know, they caught him in that, I'll call it a weakness of his. Um, and, and he pretty much jumped in. And, and of course, it was an election year. So he had to be careful about, you know, acquiescing to a certain extent so that he wouldn't be seen as a mean guy um, and all those things. So it, it was, you know, a very sort of intertwined set of conditions. If it had happened a year earlier, you know, we probably wouldn't have had this overreaction uh, that we did because it was a political, uh, you know, election year. So anyway, I just wanted to point out, this is just one tiny example of a, a similar local issue where people think that giving people individual rights is regulation. And it's incredible to me um, that there are people out there that think that way. So I'll let you make any other comments, and then we can, I guess, move on. Absolutely. Well, I just, again, just to my last comment is January 6th was allowed to happen, and the people that allowed it to happen are the Nancy Pelosi's of the world and the other people that run the police and the other people because they knew if you had a million people at a peaceful protest, and the reason why they were there is because they were protesting an election they thought was stolen. So remember, it was stop the steal, so they thought the election was stolen. You had a million people that thought it was stolen, but they wanted to peacefully protest 
<clears throat> and even though Donald Trump, I think, was outside his uh, thought process by thinking that Mike Pence was going to be able to actually stop something, you know, that was Trump's m mistake. But he never said, you know, go break into the building. But it's just kind of like, hey, listen, the Democrats were saying, or and the Republicans, because they're the same party, um, it, the Democrats and the Republicans were saying, listen, if we want to make sure that Trump never gets a chance at an election, let's let something happen at this Capitol, and then we're going to use this four years later on, or we'll use this during these next four years to completely destroy him, his family, anyone around him, anybody that ever supported him. It was just a perfect plan. It was kind of like, <clears throat> if you will, <laughs> I'll bring this back to our great uh, 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 person we sometimes talk about on this radio show when he was saying last year around this time, he's going to go back into making MLM videos or anti-MLM videos. I said to myself, holy cow, the guy's going to destroy himself. He doesn't realize he's been sued before. That's why he took the previous year off. He's going to wind up doing some stuff. He's going to wind up destroying a lot of things, and we'll just let it happen. We don't even have to worry about destroying him, although he's, he, he definitely deserves it. But the reality is we can just enjoy it and watch. And how it's going to turn out, I'm really not sure. But that he will destroy himself is inevitable. And that is exactly what they allowed to happen in January 6th. So the parallels there are manyfold, and we're watching it. We're watching it, and uh, <clears throat> we'll see if you know this goes to the Supreme Court, and eventually they stop doing some of the stuff they did do. And we'll see if they can steal another election, and you know we'll see if the population thinks that Donald Trump is going to be the one that actually uh, is going to be the one that's going to be able to turn this country around. But the reality is, is it's as corrupt as it could possibly ever get, and it's a mess, and it's not going to be ending anytime soon, and. I can't really draw that same comparison to MLM. It's not as much of a mess, and it's a lot easier to, quote, unquote, uh, fix or maybe put some of the guide rails on. But the reality was, just like always stupid Marco did what he did to himself, and now he's fleeing the country, um, this was allowed to happen. And I'm not going to say we allowed Marco to destroy himself, but the reality is that it, we didn't throw any roadblocks in Marco's way as he was destroying himself in his anti-MLM um, uh, uh, escapades, getting his, uh, you know, finances sued, him personally, his family being harassed, and a whole bunch of other things that we could talk about maybe on another radio show. But anyway, so back to you, Scott. Yeah, it's just sweet irony that he doesn't understand that he's been invading business meetings and, and videotaping them, and he thinks that, you know, there's no reason for anyone to go after him after he does that to them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's complaining about it, but he's really what what's being done to him is pretty much the same thing he's been doing to them. You know, just in a little different setting, um, and you can't handle it. You know, he, he he tips over, you know, like a cheap tent the first time the wind blows a little bit, and he's fleeing. He's fleeing Canada now, somewhere overseas, somewhere. I think a, my guess is somewhere in the Western Pacific. You know, Indonesia, Philippines, somewhere over there where. The cost of living is much lower, and he can actually afford to, uh, you know, eat his beans. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, now, of course, he's also supposed to be making videos about the local people, whatever country or countries he's in, um, and how much less capable they are of recovering from going into debt, you know, after being involved in an MLM and losing money. And um, I, and I saw one person that made a comment um, on on his one of his videos 
And it was something along the line of, you know, you better be careful because over here they just, you know, find out where you live and they might harass your family a little bit, you know, put some notes on, you know, social media. Over there you could find yourself uh, six feet under pretty quick. Uh, they don't have <laughs> they don't have as much patience. <laughs> so, yeah. So I know. So like it's just this is to the next degree. It's almost like coming full circle. Last year around this time we were talking about how he was gonna, you know, destroy his reputation, destroy himself financially. He's taking it to the next level. He's gonna send himself to a supposedly some uh, place where it's a lot easier to live, which means usually like a lower uh, third world country. And he's going from and this is this is perfect, Scott. He is going from conning people himself for a living to working with people that are conning and scamming and doing things for survival. So he's escalated his enemies. <laughs> he's, he's basically going to go to a place like you had just highlighted. Over here, they might send you a nasty letter or tweet something or maybe send someone to your door or throw something under your whatever. But the reality is, is that now he's going to a place where there's real threats where he's got no level of protection, where he's where he could be either killed by, uh, what is it like typhus, Ebola, maybe dengue fever, maybe malaria, or some guy who's just going to look at this guy and just say, "This is a weak one. We'll be able to steal everything he's got. He's got no protection." So this is, this is, uh, you know, if we were nice, Scott, we would probably suggest that he doesn't do this, but. We're nice, but we're not stupid. So we're going to just let him go to the next level. So if he does, and I don't know if he has enough money to be able to pull this off, because obviously he's not doing YouTube channels, and he tried to sell everything he possibly could, but he probably doesn't have enough money to be able to really make the move. So we're just enjoying and documenting the complete demise of that asshole one more time. So we'll see. It'll be fun. I can't wait. The predictions for next year at this time will be will be special. I'm sharing with I'll share with that with you. I'm looking forward to next year's radio shows. We kind of document how smart of a move this was for always stupid Marco. Yeah, I mean it, it would be nothing for you know someone in one of those countries to just knock him off and go bury him in the forest because there's uh, not nearly enough. There's no there's no law enforcement hardly, right? So you could do that, and he, he's not like it's not like he has a family over there and friends, you know, he's an unknown person. So it's not like he's even going to be missed or missing. Um, he's just going to be fertilizer. And, uh, <laughs> but Hey, you know, for years we've been calling him always stupid and, um, he is consistent. He is very consistent in that regard. So, um, anyway, well, this has been fun. I, I enjoy talking about, um, January 6th. And I, I sure hope, uh, and if you don't mind, Peter, when we get done, if you could send me the link to that movie, I would oh, like sure. to watch it. Um, that sounds very interesting because there's a lot of different things I've heard, you know, and, and I always put that in the back of my mind. I don't say this definitely happened, but when I hear it, I say, okay, that's interesting. And then if there's other circumstances that occur where that makes even more sense, then in my mind it has more validity, Right. Um, like I've heard, uh, you know, some buses pulled up, unmarked buses, and, and people walked out of them um, that apparently were dressed up in a way that it was obvious they were going to cause trouble. Um, I mean, there's been accusations of 
you know, CIA and FBI agents being involved to try to stir things up. Um, I don't think any of that's been proven, but, you know, you have to keep that, all that stuff in mind as you learn more and more about what's going on to see, you know, what has validity and what may not, um, because there's been a lot of, you know, accusations, let's say, um, that may or may not be true. I, I don't know, but I, I think you need to put that in the back of your mind and say, okay, that's a good, that's a good piece of information. Let's see if it, you know, kind of fills out the puzzle as we go forward. Um, and of course, there's a lot of people in the government that don't want all these things to become known. And, and so it's not going to be easy to find out what was really going on because there's a lot of people with a lot of agendas, particularly at the, at the federal government level. And um, one of those agendas, uh, similar to the Amway tool scam, is for people to not know what's really going on. That, that's, the, that's the essence of a scam, right? It's, it's the way things are. So you just have to keep digging for information and keep alert you know, listening, watching, reading, and all those things to pick up the little nuggets along the way. Um, so anyway, I guess we can stop there with all that stuff unless you wanted to add one yep. more thing. No, that's it. I texted you and I Skyped you the uh, the link to the movie, and the only reason why I'm interrupting now is because uh, it's free to watch up until midnight tonight. So and then okay. this is part one. And then, so you might want to at least catch most of it if you want to tonight. So I don't want to yeah. dictate your schedule, but if you want to catch it for free, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There. And any, anybody that watches it will definitely have a question mark about what they hear next about what's going on, you know, when people talk about this. So, and it, again, it's just like everything else. you got to dig in. And one of the reasons why we do this radio show is because there's stuff that people talk about on the surface. There's a lot of misguided stuff. There's stuff that's just trash talking. And then there's, you know, you got to find out the truth. So you got to dig and dig and dig before you find out the stuff that really happens. And then you probably still need to dig some more. So I'll just use as one example. Um, I'm a big fan of Del Bigtree. Del Bigtree is the gentleman that made the movie Vaxxed. And um, he has a website called thehighwire.com. And he's done more things to unveil things relative to vaccinations and healthcare than probably most people on the planet. Works with this unbelievable lawyer named Aaron Siri, one of the best lawyers I think you'll ever find. Um, and uh, anyway, one thing led to another. Um, they were always talking about the story about how vaccines started, meaning that they became um, immune to lawsuits in 1986. And Del Bigtree, you know, he's in that industry. He knows the he knows the laws or at least the stories. And then he wound up interviewing the gal this this Thursday. So if you go there now, you'll be able to see this. But he goes there and interviews this gal this Thursday, and said, you know, I really thought I knew, you know, I thought I knew like what happened. And then I'm talking to you, and I forget her name, but she was there. And she was there from the very beginning, and she was there, you know, during all of these things. And he got a chance to interview her with the blow-by-blow. And you could literally see someone who's an expert, if if we call him like a 1 out of 10, he was certainly a 9 or a 10 in my book. And lowering himself, he's in reference to this example, to be like, holy crap, I didn't know any of, like, I didn't really know any of this stuff. You saw him with his eyes wide open and his jaw kind of hitting the floor. Like, like he knew most of it, but he didn't know what she knew. She lived it. And 
the purpose of me even bringing this up is if you watch that and then you listen to these anti-MLM YouTubers who sit there and trash talk MLM and say, you know what, you, you, you have no education and you're sitting there just moving your mouth around looking for subscribers and they think you're an expert, but you know nothing. You know nothing, relatively speaking, and you're actually identifying your ignorance every time you move your mouth around. And unfortunately, I guess all of us are like that to a certain degree in certain areas. But that's why we have that to constantly learn more, constantly to question some of the things that go on, and constantly try to find more of the truth that happens in this industry. So whether it's January 6th or whether it's vaccines, uh, but certainly in this anti-MLM approach, there's more ignorance in this than there are in those other ones because there's some really smart people that are, uh, of course, still learning what's going on in the industry that they're really smart in. So back to you, Scott. Yeah, all good points. Um, so I guess there's a couple different directions we could go. One would be I'm thinking about talking a little bit about, because we've had a guest on this show, um, not real recently, but I think the two most recent visits from a guest, a guy by the name of David, um, and, and of course with the holidays and everything, um, he didn't come back for, for a third show. But we kind of left the second show with the idea of it, – it, it's really his question that we couldn't get to because we were at the end of the show. Um, and, and certainly it was going to be the topic for when he returns. But I'm thinking about addressing it now, and that is, you know, what do we think, you know, me and you, about the insurance MLMs? And um, if you want to spend a few minutes talking about that, or we could go into the behindmlm.com website until David returns. Do um, you have any preference there? No, we can talk about insurance MLM. So I'll let you go first because I've been talking too much during this radio show. Oh, no problem. Yeah, it's, it's been a good back and forth. Um, so, and, and I kind of mentioned this at the end of the last show we had with David, was I think if there's any MLMs out there that could be legitimate, in other words, retail sales, and I don't know what the situation with tool scams and insurance companies, MLM insurance companies are, um, but from a retail standpoint, I think there's a pretty high probability uh, that these MLMs really are legitimate from a, a retail sales standpoint, and there's several reasons for that. You know, one is the fact that it's a larger purchase, and it, it's not something that people just go out and buy all the time, right? It's a one-time purchase, basically. Now, you keep paying your, you know, your insurance over time, um, but it's a one-time commitment, and then you just keep paying it you know, on a monthly, quarterly, whatever basis, um, and, and you know what you're getting. You know, you get insurance protection. And so I, I think that's different than most MLMs, you know, the old lotions and potions um, where, where – uh, there's no real specialized knowledge. In fact, with insurance, you have to get uh, certified by the state that you live in, in the United States at least, because um, there's no national oversight of the insurance industry. It's a state-by-state -state thing. Now, the FTC could certainly go after an insurance company for things like lack of retail sales, um, but when it comes to whether the insurance agent is promoting the appropriate insurance for a particular client, that's a state-by-state -state issue, and that's why you get licensed by your state to, to practice selling insurance. And, and so, you know, it, it's very different. 
you, know, you don't just go around selling vitamins and shampoo. You're actually someone who is licensed just like any other insurance agent who's not in an MLM. You get the same exact license uh, by the state, and there's certain rules to abide, particularly um, recommending the appropriate insurance based on each client's financial situation and goals. Um, and, and certainly, whether it's an MLM or not an MLM, you can have unscrupulous salespeople out there recommending the wrong products. Um, and, and that's what the state regulators are for, is to keep an eye on that kind of thing. Um, so there's, you know, there's a couple things right there that make it different. Do you have any comments on what I just said? Yeah, just to kind of underline what you said. So in a traditional MLM, if your credit card clears, you're approved. You know, anybody that has a, a credit card that went through for whatever amount of money went through is now a, an official MLM. There's no certification, if you will. But like you're referencing relative to insurance, you have to actually do something. So you have to put up some money for the licensing fee. You probably have to take a course that you have to pass. And it might be a somewhat of a complex thing because the insurance uh, regulators and if you, same thing with financial planning they they deal with people that do this as a profession at a high level um, like for instance people that really make a living selling insurance or people really make a living selling financial planning or investments so the idea that there's a fee that you have to pay a course that you have to then that you have to pass which means it involves work already clears out a large percentage of the scamminess if you will so that is a big thing that we can just underline. That's one of the reasons why an insurance MLM or financial planning MLM, if there are any, um, have a higher probability of being more legit than less legit. So I'll let you continue. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think it's pretty well understood by most people that most people don't want to be insurance salesmen. So there's another reason to actually go out and get customers because it's known that you're not going to bump into too many people that also want to be insurance salespeople. Um, whereas, you know, with shampoo or whatever, um, most people use it and they can relate to it. Like you say, there's no qualifications. I mean, you can be a, you know, a, a convicted, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, felon and, and be in an MLM. The only thing you have to have is a social security number, basically. And like you say, whatever it is, uh, 50 bucks or 100 bucks, whatever it is to join, uh, there, there's really a very, very low bar there. And it's nowhere near the time, effort, and expense that you have to go through with becoming an insurance agent. And, and so, uh, again, there's just so many differences between the insurance and all the other MLMs um, that, that uh, I, I just I, I can't put – those insurance companies in the same category. And, and again, you know, our favorite um, uh, anti-MLMer actually interviewed two people at different times from different uh, insurance MLMs, and they were very explicit in saying, yes, I sold personally, you know, $100,000 or $200,000 per year of insurance to customers, people who are not distributors they were real customers and one of them said I don't even I don't even emphasize recruiting that much um, I really go out there and sell and um, if if that's true which I believe them when they say that um, and it's typical and I'm not saying a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars a year I'm saying 
if you can sell as much as you in your own household consumes insurance wise, that makes it legitimate. And I also think that, I don't know this, but I believe the MLM insurance policies are priced exactly like you would find at an insurance company, you know, inside salespeople um, is from a customer standpoint, it's the same exact cost. I believe that's true. I, I don't know that that's true, but I believe that that's true, which also differentiates insurance MLMs from most other MLMs because most other MLMs, the products or services are overpriced. Um, and, and I think that might even be something that is regulated, that, that, that customer cost has to be the same across, you know, whether it's MLM or non-MLM uh, salesperson selling it. Uh, for whatever coverage it is, it has to be that cost because that's what the MLM companies do. They don't have their own insurance. They sell other insurance companies insurance. And, and so they're sort of like independent insurance agents, if you will, where they can go around and, and shop for their customers and find the best deal, you know, based on what the customer's needs are. So, um, you know, that's another thing that I think differentiates the insurance MLMs from the non-insurance MLMs. Um, now there is, there are complaints about some of the insurance MLMs. When you sell your first policy, you make, you know, pretty good money, maybe a hundred percent or even more, um, of the first year, uh, bonus that a non MLM insurance agent, you know, working for the company would get some of them, it, it, you start out at 25%. Some of them, your first couple of customers or so. Um, you don't get anything from that. Uh, your upline does. Uh, it's because you're kind of in training and, and so forth. I also think that um, that's actually to everyone's benefit from the standpoint that when you go out and try to sell insurance to somebody you know, you know they know you as whoever your relationship is, right? They don't know you as, a, as an insurance agent. And so you don't really have that expertise uh, you know, reputation from an insurance standpoint. Whereas if you bring someone in and say, yeah, this guy's been around for a while, you know, he knows his insurance stuff. I know this person. And, and so we're going to go ahead and, you know, see if we can do this deal because what that does is a couple things. Number one, um, when you recruit somebody into your downline, now you can recoup that money just like your upline did. And also it's, insurance agent from the standpoint that they don't have a downline, right? All they can do is retail sale. That's all they can do. They have to go out there and sell the stuff, and there's no downline that compensates them for their sales like in, in an MLM. And so to me, if you want to make more money as an insurance agent, um, an MLM makes a lot of sense because you can, just like in a, a non-insurance MLM, you can leverage the hours and the effort of other people to your own benefit, and then they can do the same thing with people they know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's why I find the MLM model so compelling, even if it's not being implemented correctly, um, is that you can actually leverage your time and effort. Um, just like in a traditional company, a manager or a supervisor uh, basically magnifies their time and effort 
through the people that are working for them, right? They may not be doing nearly as much what you would call productive work, uh, but they are doing the oversight and supervision and the management and so forth. And, and normally they get paid more than the people under them. And, and so, you know, I look at even a non MLM business as really being somewhat of an MLM because there are multiple levels um, in that organization, uh, you know, working together and the people further up the chain are typically making more money as they should. Uh, the big difference between MLMs and companies that have that same, you know, I'll call it pyramid structure, um, is the fact that most companies that are not MLM sell most of their products and services to people who are not part of the company. And again, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show and we mentioned at the beginning of most shows, um, most MLMs that I know of, most of the consumption is, is to the distributors. And that's why they're illegal pyramids when they don't have those retail sales. So I'll stop there and let you make any other comments on that little bit of uh, uh, dissertation there, Peter, and, and we'll go on. Sure. So I'll, I'll use a similar but not a specific and certainly not a technically correct story. But at least it's something you might be able to wrap your mind around relative to the insurance industry. And I'll, I'll use it relative to maybe a product line that you might be familiar with if you're older. So there was encyclopedias and Britannica, Grolier's, Collier's, they all kind of work the same. Now the numbers I'm going to make up, although the numbers are kind of real, so don't worry that the numbers aren't 100% factual. So you have a sales force, and if you have a sales force, um, you, you're going to sell a $2,000 set of encyclopedias. And what the company will do is whether you pay the company $2,000 from the sales rep, so a customer goes out, gives you a $2,000 check, um, give it to the company, the company gives you back $1,000. So it's like 50% commission. So if the customer paid cash, you got 1000 bucks. If the customer finances it, you got 1000 bucks. You got 50%. And, and again, remember, this is for all those people listening in, don't stomp your feet, don't whatever. I'm just telling you this is like a fictitious kind of example that's more than, than less correct. And maybe there would be a little bit less if it was financed, but let's just kind of stick with that. So if the customer paid the company 2000 bucks, they paid the branch manager who coordinated all the selling activities 1000 bucks. Then the, then the branch manager had to pay the salesman, and he negotiated whatever was going to pay the salesman. Well, if it was financed, $2,000 in finance, like the customer put $100 down, gave that $100 to the company, they still sent the books, they still sent the branch manager $1,000 under the understanding that that customer would make the rest of those payments. And maybe they charged, you know, two or $300 in financing, um, and that's where they made a little bit more of their money. But if everything worked out right, like given the 20 or 30 or 24 months or 36 months or whatever it would have been, the customer paying 100 bucks a month, the company would have collected all the money, which would have compensated them back for the $1,000 that they paid. So in essence, they advance the commissions on financed sales, expecting everything to go well, meaning the customer pays it off over time. Well, if 
it breaks down, meaning the customer stops paying, they take those advanced commissions and say, we want them back. We gave you a thousand. The customer only made two payments. So we're out 1800 bucks, you know, and then the thousand and all that sort of stuff. Like we're out of money. We, we're, we want the thousand dollars back because we advanced you the money, but things didn't work out. The customer canceled. They stopped paying, whatever we want it back. Now, if you were building a sales force based on these advanced commissions, like think about what you could do. You could pay a lot of money back to the sales force if you wanted to. You could make a lot of money based on everything being right, everybody paying off on time. But if things went wrong, you get screwed. Those advanced commissions were not earned commissions. So they charge back the salesman. They charge back the branch manager the money that was advanced. And that's the way insurance works to a large degree. If you get a bill for your hundred, your, your million dollars in, in life insurance, and uh, it's 120 a month, when I had a when I had a million dollars of life insurance, term life insurance, when I was younger, um, when we had three kids and I was younger, 120 a month, that gave me my life insurance. I'm sure that com that sales rep made a ton of money. He might have made a thousand dollars by selling that policy. Um, he might have made two thousand dollars by selling that policy. I don't know his numbers. But if I would have canceled um, in that first year, they would have took that money back. So one of the reasons why the insurance MLM industry is statistically probably better and more legit to retail customers is you can't screw around. Like you, you're not, you're playing with real money. You're not talking about a garage full of stuff that somebody can't sue you for. The insurance company takes the money back. The, the, the guy who's running the brokerage gets charged back the money. There's no reason to put bullshit on the books. So most of the times the insurance agencies don't put bullshit on the books for all the things that I just said. They pay advanced commissions or advanced earnings or whatever term they might use. So that's one of the things that a lot of these anti-MLM people don't understand. You're not dealing with a bullshit industry. You're not dealing with garage-qualified air filters. You're not dealing with people that don't know what they're talking about. You're dealing with big business that will take back the money and bankrupt people and sue people into oblivion if they can't pay it back. So, Scott, I just wanted to kind of highlight that because there's a lot of these people that don't understand that. And, you know, people like Always Stupid Marco and other people that talk about these things, since they've never sold insurance, don't know anything about insurance, have no concept of any of this sort of stuff, they think that, you know, companies like World Financial Group or maybe like Primerica or maybe companies like that are just like schmuck companies. They're not. They are certainly not. They, they, run, their, they run their companies pretty tight-shipped. And people like Patrick Bet David that ran People Helping People, PHP. Right. I mean, the guy became right. a multimillionaire many times over by people selling insurance companies to regular customers. Now, some of them may be family or friends, which would have been inevitable. And there might have been some breakage for that. But the reality was is a lot of people were buying insurance companies that weren't part of the deal. Exactly, and, and like you say, the most of the anti-MLMers don't understand how insurance works, um, and they so they complain about these chargebacks when it comes up 
you know, when you're discussing an MLM insurance company, but they don't realize that that also applies to non-insurance, uh, or I mean, I should say non-MLM insurance companies. Um, and right. they don't understand that because they don't know anything about insurance at all. Um, in fact, the guideline I've always understood is if you're an insurance salesperson, you shouldn't spend that money that you're getting for a year because it could be charged back. It's not your money until that year goes by and the customer pays that full, that first full year, then it's your money. Um, and so if you go out and spend it right away, you're really taking a chance. And of course, statistically, I don't know what the statistics are, but statistically, obviously some of those customers are not going to continue to pay. You know, maybe they had some kind of a, um, you know, let's say an accident or, or a medical bill or maybe they got laid off and they, all of a sudden their intent was to keep paying the insurance and then they can no longer afford it. So they have to make a choice of, gee, do I stop paying my insurance or do I eat? And so obviously most people would eat and they don't understand that. They, they, they're just so stupid and, and so non-aware of the rest of the world and how it works. Anytime they hear something that, you know, is is uh, not complementary to an MLM. They think it's unique to the MLM, and it's not. It, it's it's how insurance works, uh, but they don't get it, and so they'll complain as if the MLM is doing something different than a non-MLM insurance company. It, it is quite frustrating. Um, you know, to, yeah, and just to, to, uh, just to tag on to that, that there, there there used to be a company called Prepaid Legal which is basically where you're buying prepaid legal services. So whatever it was a month, 49 a month, 149 a month or whatever, they gave you advanced commissions. And there was a lot of people that made a shitload of money with prepaid legal, putting, putting people on the books. And then when the people quit in two months, or people, you know, when they, when they bought their prepaid legal service and their upline was advanced their commissions, which was more than it was supposed to be, quote unquote, um, and then all of a sudden the new people in the business are quitting after two or three months, they started to amass huge chargebacks because they didn't understand that this wasn't earned commissions. Like the worst time to learn the definition of earned commissions or advanced commissions is when you didn't know the difference between earned commissions and advanced commissions. So you thought the money that you were making in prepaid legal by like, you know, throwing a whole bunch of people into some money game. Um, and they, and they also happen to get prepaid legal uh, services and they all quit or they stop paying. Now all these chargebacks come back where you're 10, 15, 20 grand, you know, in the hole and never have a way of being able to dig out of this. That was one example of prepaid legal um, messing up that advanced commissions business model. But Primerica, you know, and some of the other companies like this, they are more traditional. So you got to get the license. These things are explained to you. There's no dicking or fooling around. Um, and those are always issues. And I would probably say they probably don't have a very large retention rate, meaning like I stayed with my life insurance until my policy expired 20 years later, because I always wanted that million dollars at that 120 a month. And I'm not dead yet, so technically speaking, it was one of those things where, you know, the insurance company kept all the money, and that's the reason why insurance works the way it does. But the reality was, is if I was in an MLM, and I just bought because my son-in-law, or just because my brother, or just because my wife, or whatever, I might not stay with that forever. So there may not be the multiple year long-term 
subscriptions, if you will, or purchases. They might be short-lived, so they probably have a high turnover rate, but the reality is is that they're still real sales. They were still retail sales. So back to you, Scott. Yeah, all good points. Um, it, it's just frustrating to listen to anti-MLMers spew garbage, um, thinking that they're making a good point, and, and they're just – they, they just don't understand. <laughs> you know, there's other things they complain about when it comes to MLMs, but uh, chargebacks for insurance MLMs is not one of them. Now, you could get, you could make the argument that if you oversell policies, you know, if you sell policies that really are way too much for the customer because you want to make more profit yourself, um, then you're really asking for chargebacks. That's part of finding the appropriate amount of insurance for somebody. It's something that they can reasonably uh, afford, even with a little bit of an upset to their lifestyle maybe. Um, but if you, if you hard sell them a really expensive policy and they have a little hiccup and all of a sudden they can't keep paying, well, that's really on the insurance agent, whether it's an MLM or non-MLM, because they oversold to that customer that they did not sell the appropriate amounts of insurance. So, you know, the there's, wrong there's a lot of that going on. The wrong time. Yeah. We found, we exactly. did a, you know, through your help, we did a radio show with a gal, I forget her name. I don't remember which one it was, but she was one who had quit. And one of the reasons why she quit is she found that they were, she was selling the policy she was told to sell people, but in essence found that that the only reason why she was told to sell that kind of policy is because that's the one they made the most money in. But it was actually the kind of policy where people could pay into, and when they needed help, which they thought they were buying, they weren't going to get it because they were buying the wrong policy. And that's one of the reasons why she left, admittedly correctly, and why she complains, you know, admittedly correctly, because they're bad business practices. But that wasn't the company. That was the way the business was being sold, which I guess was allowed by the company. But the reality was, is, you know, that's another issue. So back to you, Scott. Yeah, I think there's a combination between, you know, the upline and the company. Um, the upline was teaching how to sell basically one type of insurance, which is inappropriate for most people, but it made them more profit, and so they went with it. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those things, pay me now or pay me later. Um, but, you know, you're, you're going to get yourself in a bind if you oversell like that, particularly in the insurance industry. So you, you just have to you know, be smart about it. And of course, most people that start selling insurance have no idea about these things. That's part of the, the purpose of the license is to teach you those things. Um, but then if your upline takes you off in a different direction, um, you know, you may not fully understand why. Uh, she did. She was, she was a great guest. I'll have to try to remember her name and look her up again because I think she did say, you know, she was willing to come back on the show sometime. That's been at least a, I want to say at least a couple of years now, Peter. I'd, I'd be curious to see what she's up to, you know, see what she's uh, settled into. She was also an Uber driver, I think. Exactly, yeah. She did Uber and Airbnb. I, I don't remember if yeah. she was not the good, I think she called herself not the good girl. I don't remember if that was her or not. No, that so, was someone um, else. Um, yeah, okay. not the good girl was in an MLM, you know, a traditional non-insurance MLM, let's call it. Um, and, and she got to a pretty high rank, but she really wasn't making much money. Once she sat down and figured all of her expenses, even though she was at a at a pretty high rank, she wasn't making hardly any money, you know, net net profit. 
Um, and, and so that's something you have to keep in mind too is, you know, if you get paid a thousand dollars, but it costs you $2,000 in overhead to get that thousand, guess what? You didn't make a thousand, you lost a thousand. And, and that's pretty simple math and simple economics. But I know, you know, my experience Damway was such that, oh yeah, just like a traditional business, you know, you have to keep putting into it before it pays off for you. And that's how they keep you in longer is to, you know, let you know that, hey, this is just like a non-MLM business, a traditional small business. And it's true. You do have to put money into it. You may even have to, as an owner, not take anything out of it, even as it's growing and you have employees, which you obviously have to pay to keep them on board, um, and yet you're not getting paid anything as an owner until later as the business continues to grow, hopefully it does, um, then you can clean up and you can make big money um, by doing that. It's, it's called delayed gratification. Um, but when it's, when it's wrapped around an illegal pyramid in a, in a RICO fraud, it's a little bit different than a traditional business. So <laughs> the lies are magnificent, I have to say. They, they are very talented liars. Um, so, all right, well, good. Anything else on this? I, I think that kind of wraps up most of what I wanted to comment on as far as um, insurance MLMs. I mean, you know, I would certainly say if, if you're interested in being an insurance agent, that an MLM will allow you to probably make more money over time than if you were – just you know, independent agent or an agent that work for a particular insurance company, because you can profit off of the efforts of those that you recruit, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not much different than a manager makes money from, you know, indirectly, not directly in a compensation plan, but indirectly from the supervisors that work for him or her, or a supervisor makes money indirectly from uh, the worker bees that work for them. And, and I just don't see, you know, the problem with multiple levels unless there's a lack of retail sales. That's the kicker. So, and I know our favorite um, stupid guy doesn't understand that. Um, <laughs> but if you're going to, if you're going to try to, if you're going to try to beat up MLM for being a pyramid scheme, the last niche that you'd pick would be the insurance niche. There's so many other ones. Yes. There's so yes. many other ones that are easier that are probably more legit. I mean, the, 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 the one that's least likely to be a pyramid is going to be something related to insurance or financial planning where people have to be licensed. And you can ask that question before you join. You can say, hey, yeah. tell me how many, how many non-distributor customers you have compared to the distributors. Um, and you can get a pretty good idea. Um, and if, it, if it's a legitimate MLM, insurance or non-insurance, you know, then they'll tell you and they'll show you the books, you know. I mean, they may not show you every little detail. There's certain things that businesses won't show, but, you know, if they have it, they'll be open about it. That's my point, that they won't just, you know, blow you off. And, and it's a very easy question to ask. Do you make more profit from people who are not distributors or from your distributors? And if, if they can't answer that question, you know, reasonably, then walk away, whether it's insurance or non-insurance, MLM, uh, because that's, to me, that's really the, the key thing uh, when it comes to MLMs. Plus tool scams. Don't forget the tool scams. Uh, 
Well, Peter, we're coming close to the end. I guess we could go over a couple of uh, behind MLM stories if you'd like to. Sure, absolutely. Go ahead. So I'm looking at um, behindmlm.com. They've got a lot of good stories here. They also follow the stories, which I really uh, appreciate. Uh, the first one I'm looking at here is January 5th, 2024. Uh, the headline is uh, Shane Morand, quote unquote, leaves Organo, initiates legal proceedings, question mark. Um, so this is one of the three co-founders. And apparently, I don't know what the issues are, but he got sideways, I guess, with, with his partners. And he's going off and starting another, I think, coffee-related MLM like Organo is. So we'll see how that plays out, um, particularly with the uh, legal proceedings. There could be some lawsuits flying around. I don't know if you know anything more about that or would like to make a comment on that one. You know, I don't know that much about Shane's situation, uh, but I know that um, Organo Gold had a couple of people that claimed they were like founders or owners or whatever the hell it was. One of them was Houghton Bugs. The other one was Nate, Jay Nolan. Uh, Shane Moran was another one. There's a few other ones as well that lay claim to fame. And it was called Organo Gold, and I think now it's just short for Organo. So um, Halton Bugs is a gentleman who basically took the tool scam and turned it into an empire as well because all the people in his Organo business were paying like $99 um, per month for his, you know, his system. So, you know, it, it was a, basically a hidden tool scam um, but he didn't go out there and tell people that they were going to get rich with Organo Gold and uh, everything else like that. He just made a shitload of money by selling his downline tools. So Holden Bugs is a character. Now, when the cryptocurrency industry happened, I interviewed Shane Moran when he was doing something with a cryptocurrency. And I don't remember which one it was, but I, I didn't <clears> – <throat> I don't know what happened with it. And, you know, that's not uncommon for – we do a couple of radio shows to talk about something and all of a sudden now it disappears or things changed and, you know, we don't hear about them again, but I know he was into crypto for a while. Like he was a really big crypto person with this whole thing that seemed to be very, very, very blockchain oriented and very solid. So the idea that he is leaving quote unquote or being pushed out of Organo may have led me to believe that his crypto thing kind of fizzled out a little bit as sometimes they always do. So I, I don't know. I've been kind of looking at this article, and every time I look at this article, I say I got to go jump back in there and kind of find out what this is about. But um, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. But for some reason, the coffee uh, product line seems to be ripe for MLM. Like for whatever reason, they just like it. So whether they're infusing it with CBD or they're infusing coffee with mushrooms or they're infusing coffee with something else. Coffee just seems to be the product that a lot of these guys like. So, um, and <clears throat> maybe just maybe the coffee is good. I don't know. I've, I've had different types of coffee sent to me from time to time. Um, and I, I haven't been attracted to it to say, I'm going to switch the one brand of coffee I buy to this brand of coffee. Although, I've seen it do everything from weight loss coffee to better health coffee to everything that's going to help your uh, sex life coffee to everything. Coffee is something that just is one of those miraculous products that is just very attractive to MLM. So back to you, Scott. Yeah, and so many people drink coffee. It's a natural thing. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I, I would never join a coffee MLM just because 
at um, the story here online, it looks like there's there's three people pictured. I, I don't know if those are supposed to be the three founders or not. I, I couldn't find the um, names in the story, but it looks like the guy on the left could be Holton Bugs, you know, black fella. The other guy is more of an oriental-looking guy. And then uh, Moran, I think, is the third guy in that picture. And it also mentions a uh, uh, company called Decentra, which I think is the one that uh, he was involved in, you know, as far as the crypto. Uh, mm-hmm. That's Moran that I'm talking about. So, yeah, I, I don't know much about, you know, his uh, history or anything like that. But I just thought it was interesting that you got one of these big guys that's, you know, leaving a company that he helped to found, and there's mention of, you know, legal things. And uh, I would be surprised if we didn't see some lawsuits flying back and forth. I'll put it that way. <laughs> so, yeah. There's often, you know, accusations of you stole our people and you stole our company secrets and you broke your NDA and, you know, all this, these other things. Um, that's pretty typical. Um, you know, don't, don't quote me as being smart because I've just seen it over and over again. Um, these kinds of things going on. And, and I'm just kind of scrolling down here, Peter, because there's so many stories we don't go over. Um, a lot of them are these Ponzi things, these, uh, you know, 10% per day uh, making money type things that are just ridiculous. Um, and all you need is a small percentage of people to, to take you up on it, right? It's not like you have to have a huge percentage of uptake. Um, and with the Internet, your reach is so far, you can reach so many people now. Um, you can you can succeed even with a lower percentage of people buying into it compared to before the Internet because you're reaching out to so many more people. So it really is a, um, you know, a leverage tool, so to speak, the Internet is to um, get enough people to join to make it work. Um, let's see. Oh, this is an interesting one. Um, January 1st, 2024. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce his name. Is it Validus? Validus? You know how to pronounce that? B-A-L-I-U-S, Validus. Oh, while, Security while we're fraud. looking. Yeah, yeah, hold on one second. While we're looking, if you go to, if, you, if anybody might be curious, if you go to buildingforgeradio.com and then you look under the guest names and you look for Shane Moran, you'll be able to hear the radio show we did. And the the thing that he was pushing at that time was called the Kinesis Monetary System. So Kinesis. And um, it was it wasn't an MLM. It was a, it was basically blockchain stuff, and you know it was supposed to be really good. But and I, and he sounded like a really nice guy. That's all I know about him. I know I know he was well established. And he had made some money previously, and he lived in Italy at the time uh, that I think uh, we were speaking with him. But uh, obviously he went into some bullshit decrypto scam as read by the uh, behind MLM thing. So, and, you know, then things tumble from there. So back to you, Scott. Sorry for the interruption. No, that's good information. Uh, and maybe that that sort of information will be coming out in the future on Behind MLM as well. Yeah. Because they often do dig deeper into their backgrounds and so forth. So, um, so this, yeah, this Validus Securities Fraud Warning from Dubai. I think that's an interesting headline because, you know, Dubai is well known for where these people flee to when they get in trouble in other countries. And, and because, you know, Dubai and the uh, United Arab Emirates, which I think is where Dubai is located, um, don't have any 
um, extradition treaties with other countries, and so they're safe there. You know, they can they can live their life there. You know, if they're you know swimming in money, um, and they can just live their life as a, as a crook basically, and not get in trouble for it. As long as they don't travel, you know, we we had a story, I guess about a month ago or so, uh, some guy um, decided he had to visit his father who was very sick in the United States, and he was over in England and or Ireland, I think it was, and uh, he flew into the West Coast. He probably was trying to not be caught, and they caught him, and now he's uh, in custody. So, <laughs> you know, you have to be careful if you're going to go over there. Um, don't come back here because you'll probably be caught. We have computers and stuff. So, <laughs> so you have you have a much better chance if you just go down to the southern border and walk across, put it that way. Yeah, um, exactly. But the reason I bring up this, this uh, security warning is the fact that, you know, Dubai is known as a haven, and now they put out this security warning for this company. So that's kind of interesting that, you know, that particular – location would actually put out a warning like this. Um, we'll see where that goes. Anything more on that one? Nope. I guess we could stop there. We are already at the top and past a little bit of the hour. Um, and uh, we can just pick this we'll up next every- week. Yeah, give everybody your website and we'll catch everybody next week. Yeah, so it's facebook.com slash Johnson S-C-O-T-T-T-E-X-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, one word. Uh, three websites linked to this radio show, YouTube, uh, my email, and uh, my phone number that I gave out earlier, 214-843-9066. And, Peter, have a good week, and we will Perfect. do this again next Saturday. Catch everybody next Saturday. And check out that before midnight. We'll catch you the uh, the January 6th movie. We'll catch everybody next time. Happy anniversary. Definitely. Thanks, bye. You've been listening to Building Fortunes Radio on buildingfortunesradio.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time for the designated Building Fortunes Radio segment with Peter Mingle. Be sure to check out the buildingfortunesradio.com website for our featured segments. It's been our privilege to have you listen in. At Building Fortunes Radio, we wish you the success you deserve and are willing to work for. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world.